This is the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Now, here are your hosts, Jeff Sharon and Eric Lopez. And welcome to the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Eric Lopez here, Jeff Sharon out again, recovering from back surgery. We uh, hope that it goes well after a successful uh, back surgery. Plus, I don't think he wanted to come on and acknowledge that, well, I was right and he was wrong about Cincinnati. But we'll get into that later. Joining me instead is uh, Drew Glukoff. We're going to talk about UCF Florida playing in the Gasparilla Bowl, which has been a hot ticket. Later in the show, we'll be joined by Kyle Nash, who will be uh, breaking down UCF men's and women's basketball. They both have a week off. What do we want to see from those two hoops teams here? As you got some big games coming up. Uh, on the road in the next week. And then Bryson Turner will join me later as we'll recap UCF volleyball season coming to an end with a tough five-set loss at UCLA in the second round of the NCAA tournament. That is all coming up on this edition of the Black and Gold uh, pod, uh, Banneret Podcast. Of course, you could listen to this podcast wherever you like to uh, have your favorite uh, devices where you listen to your podcast. Make sure you subscribe and leave us a five-star review. And, of course, make sure you follow our YouTube page. Subscribe there. Give us a like, a thumbs up. As myself, alongside Drew and Kyle, did a night shift live on Sunday as we broke down UCF Florida playing in the Gasparilla Bowl. And uh, certainly appreciate all of you that have chimed in on that. Of course, you can like us on Facebook, Twitter. You know where we are on social media. Let's get into it here, Drew. Obviously, UCF Florida. We did talk in, in length about this matchup on Sunday when it came out. Tickets, no surprise, are a hot ticket. Uh, it looks like UCF will not only sell out their allotment, but they'll even get more tickets. Some people think this could be a Peach Bowl 2018 level of selling tickets. Uh, this is going to be a sellout. This is a hot ticket. And I got to tell you, looking at the bowl games across, all the matchups that were set, Drew, and I, I know you look at this, I think this game is, from an interest standpoint, is a top three game bowl game, not counting New Year's Six, all right? Let's put that aside. From the December bowl games on, I think this is a top three, top five interesting bowl game that the casual person will tune in to watch. Your thoughts? Uh, I think that may be a little bit of a stretch. Uh, In the state of Florida, it is by far the best, most important game outside of the New Year's Six. And even some of the New Year's Six, they may, may jump. I mean, I don't think really enough people in the state of Florida really care about Ohio state versus Utah, other than the fact uh, it's the Rose bowl, but the game itself probably, you know, Utah probably doesn't have that much interest in the state of Florida, but I agree by the way, that Rose bowl will be more interest. It's the Rose bowl. It's the most popular bowl game by far. That will draw a big number. New year six. I'm saying non new year six, non new year six. Yeah. Uh, you know, you, you first have to look at, uh, you know, one of the games that's within the state of Florida, that's the Citrus Bowl. Uh, that's probably going to be one of the big ones. Uh, you know, you know, Iowa, Kentucky. There is a little added story to this. Uh, Bob Stoops' alma mater, Iowa, versus his brother, Kentucky, uh, where uh, Mark Stoops is the head coach. And he already came out and said, I'm rooting for blood on this one. So he's well, Bob Stoops is going to be coach. Bob's going to be coaching himself in the Alamo Bowl as the interim coach for Oklahoma against Oregon, which is another interesting game in the bowl matchups. Mm-hmm. And that's going to that's going to generate some interest that uh, you know 
nationwide because he hasn't you know coached the game in years and now here he is being the interim uh, i think that's going to carry a lot of buzz uh, but you know don't get me wrong from an attendance standpoint uh, this is going to be one of your top you know non new year six may not be the top but it's going to be one of them uh at, you know at that point you're just you're just I expect it to be a sellout or very close to it. And then you may be nitpicking a little, you know, very small differences in numbers uh, on games that may sell out. You know, does this stadium hold more than this one? Uh, but, you know, you look at, you know, the Alamo, that's going to be a very good game in Oklahoma, Oregon. You, you said it yourself. Uh, there, you, Your better argument is it's the most interesting and unique pre-Christmas bowl game. Yeah. And okay. You look at the at the pre Christmas games, and, and you have a couple of very interesting matchups. Uh, you have the Frisco Bowl, which is going to be San Diego State versus uh, Texas San Antonio. You know, UTSA was a stone's throw away from being undefeated in the year. Uh, they're definitely the Cinderella story of the year uh, that that have really really uh, generate a lot of a lot of interest in a in a very young program, and they're. They're, they're still very you know, wet behind the ears as far as football. It's made for a very interesting story. Then you go outside of that, I mean, there's there's really not much looking at. I mean, you know, BYU is stuck in the Independence Bowl, and that's one of the you know, that's December 18th. One of the reasons why they're joining the Big 12 is because they don't have a good bowl contract. I mean, they're ranked 13th in the country, and they're playing – on December 18th, you know, the <laughs> second day of the right, bowls. And right. you know, uh, traditionally, the closer you are to the beginning, the lower the, the the tier of the bowl, the lower the perception of the bowl. That's why the Christmas date is always such a big one. Pre-Christmas are viewed as eh, games. But I think Christmas ones are right. higher state games traditionally. But I, think, I agree. But I think this game is going to grab some interest. Uh, I think this game is uh, – I'm really fascinated to see how both sides will handle this game. Will there be any trash talking? Will there be, you know, some hooping and hollering? I'm sure scheduling will be coming up during I think it's already topics. started. I, I think that trash talking's already started. Uh, I, you know, you pay attention to Twitter. And some of the players, especially on Florida side, basically saying, we don't want to lose to these guys because unlike some of the other uh, bowl games that UCF has gone to where you can make – you know, the talking heads make the excuse, oh, these guys aren't interested. No, Florida's very interested in this game because they don't want to lose. They don't want to have to deal with the trash talk, and they don't want competition on the recruiting trail. And they don't want any ammo that can be used against them. That's why it's so important. Like we talked about it on Night Shift. It's so important for UCF to win this. Uh, an almost doesn't cut it because an almost in the end still is a loss. And you, you continue to maintain your little brother status. Uh, you need to find a way to get over the hump. The only way you get over the hump is by winning these games, these opportunities. And, and this just happens to be the first one of this new generation. Obviously, 2006 is – and, and you know, before that are, are completely different monsters. Now, now, I'm glad you bring this up because there's going to be some – I won't mention names, but there's some that will say, wait a minute, we're banged up. We're not fully healthy. We can't expect to win this game against Florida. How do you respond to those that say that? I, I go with the line that I've used many times. Any game, any team can win any game on any given day. Uh, that's why they play them. Uh, the, you know, things happen. You know, look at UCF during their 25-game winning streak. How many 50-50 balls bounce their way during that streak? 
Then you go to 2019. How many 50-50 balls bounced away from? I guarantee you, it was three, as in all three losses. Uh, they they were very, you know, there were 50-50 balls at that point that could have gone either way. You you know, same with the LSU game. That was a 50-50 game, basically. So, you know, all those losses going up into 2020 uh, until really the game against BYU, you know, the bowl game where they they just were completely outclassed, you know, across the board. Uh, those were all very winnable games that just, it just takes, you know, one little thing changing. And that's the difference between a win and a loss. But it's the same thing during the win streak. A couple, you know, if something changes, that and the, the game's completely different. And, you know, we have to remember that, you know, but that, you know, they always say football's a game of inches and it's true, you know, fourth and one, UCF goes for it and gets a giant touchdown run out of it. Uh, you try that again, it, it, you may not get first down at all. And then that changes the complexion of the game. So we have to, we have to understand that, uh, you know, you, you have to play the game. You can play it a hundred times against a really good opponent but all you need is that one time to be the time that you play right, right. where you win the game and all will matter is the fact that you played and won and this is a game they're going to circle and it's going to be intriguing now gus malzahn the uh, ucf head coach has yet to speak with the media he is scheduled to meet with the media on saturday uh so uh, they've been obviously traveling. This is their last week. You know, you're recruiting. You got signing day coming up. So, I, you know, so Saturday is the first time we will hear. Now, Gus did do a tweet right after the games was announced, but we have not heard him talk in depth really since the USF post game, which so obviously there's going to be a lot of interesting questions they're going to ask Gus on Saturday. Drew, I'm going to put you on the spot. If you could ask Gus one question on that media session on Saturday, what would that question be? Uh, it's going to be outside of the obvious, which is winning the game. What's the primary objective out of this bowl game? What do you want him to say? Uh, talking about the extra practices, the working on depth building, um, stuff to that. And, and, uh, and, and if he wants to continue on, then he can talk about the secondary part, which is about team camaraderie and the events that they go to. Because remember, bowl games are exhibition games. The biggest benefit that a team gets are the extra practices. That's what the coaches want. Uh, the players get the the fun stuff. You know, they get the the activities of part of you know the swag bags as part of the bowl experience. And then there's a, a game on top of that. But while in in the grand scheme of things, from a win loss standpoint in the records, bowl games really don't matter much. It only matters because of who they're playing, not the fact of when they're playing. If this was against South Carolina, like one of the teams that we thought could have had a shot or a Missouri, this game wouldn't matter. But because it's Florida, the game itself now matters. But normally it's just an exhibition game. That's why there, there's players, even uh, even going into higher level games, like uh, the wide receiver out of Arkansas, instead of going to the Outback Bowl, he, he said he's out. Uh, that's that's a big game. You know, you know Arkansas hasn't been to a – a bowl game in, in what four years and now they're in the outback bowl you know that that's that's not a small bowl and, and still guys are, are opting out you're what, you know right what what do you think about evaluating your roster against an sec quality talent like florida will bring to that stadium on the 23rd don't you think there's an added 
bonus there if you're Gus and the staff with the players you're going to take to Tampa to match up against Florida. It's another opportunity to evaluate what you have and maybe what you don't have on your roster. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you kind of know what you already don't have because it's it's been hitting you during the year. Uh, but that kind of goes back with depth building. Uh, it's, you know, you, you have to understand what you have and don't have to be able to go to the next step and, and correct some of those issues. Uh, he's going to be going, you know, hitting the hard into the transfer portal, looking for guys that he could plug in and, and fix some of these holes on a short-term basis while, while developing the new recruits. You know, he's had a whole year here uh, to, to, you know, go recruit and, and build this class, you know, signing day is a week away. Uh, if I've been correct, December, yep. uh, December 15th. Yep. Uh, so, you know, they're going to be, you know, that early class, which is where like 90% of your guys now sign, they're already going to be signed and, and uh, before this bowl game. So the bowl game itself isn't really from a recruiting standpoint, uh, short term, it's more of a long-term thing of kind of, you know, you know, your, 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 your breakout party, you know, here I am, uh, we're legit, we're for real, and we're moving to a bigger conference you know, in a year and change. Uh, you may want to pay attention to us and give us the time of day. Because I, I tell you, you know, you win this game, you know, there are going to be guys in the state of Florida, you know, four-star recruits, maybe in a five, that's going to pay a little more attention to UCF. Uh, you know, as long if if Gus and his team can get their foot in the door, you know, they can talk about the Big Twelve and that and the, that it's happening and, and stuff and remind them. But you have to get your foot in the door, and the way to do that is to establish a, a establish dominance. The only way you can dominate is by playing and winning the game. I also like the fact these two are going to play again in twenty twenty four. I think this is going to light a match. And people get their appetite like, yeah, I want to go back. I'm going to go back and see this game in 2024. You're going to, you know, and I think with Terry Mahajra on board, I think the the sky's the ceiling. Once UCF gets to the Big 12, you know, we talked about there's still to be finalized this, but the belief from everybody that follows the Big 12 is that they're going to keep the nine-game conference schedule. They like that whole thing about everybody plays each other. It's the only league that, you know, and all that stuff. So, well, they're getting rid of the, everyone plays each other part. Cause obviously it's 12 team. Right, 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 right. But do that. right, right, right. They were, they liked that. That's why they had it nine at 10, but apparently they're going to, it was just a marketing, marketing. It was just a marketing, which thing. works. It's, it's, it's their version of power six. Right. Uh, <laughs> but it sounds like they're going to keep the nine games uh, possibly, which, you know, could limit what UCF could do to some city. But I do think UCF, my thoughts are within the next decade, once they enter the Big 12, I think they're going to end up playing Miami on the schedule. Miami never ducks people for the most part now. Well, a- I, I got I, I have to disagree on that. They they were supposed to do a one a home and home with UCF, right? Which they did. Well, wait, they did in 08 and 09. Right. And then there they was were supposed to be another one. There was right. supposed to be another one until Florida Citrus Sports kind of got into their ear a little bit. Hey, why don't you do one here at, at Camping World Stadium? But I don't blame Miami as much as you might. I would blame Florida Citrus for that. Well, I mean, but the thing is, Miami banked on it. They, you know, they basically UCF said no, and Miami said, okay, see ya. But now, uh, but now UCF's going to the Big Twelve. So now right. I, I think the I think the game changes once you're a member of the club. You're in the Big Twelve. I think that if they UCF was still in the American, I would agree with you. I don't think Miami plays this game. But I think with Mahajer's aggressiveness 
and going to the Big 12. I think you're going to see Miami on this schedule, especially Mario Cristobal now has taken over. We'll see about Florida State. They got some issues. They got to get a new AD in place, and then we'll see how Norvell does. But um, I think they're gonna the, the schedule is going to get a bump up either way, whether it's Miami or whoever. It's going to get a bump up with conference and non-conference. Take, I think it's going to take a little bit longer than people think for the in-state schools to get on board. Fair. Uh, because they don't want UCF to be an equal. Why, why aren't they, why do you think they're not in the ACC or the SEC? Because they don't want them there. Uh, the, so UCF is going to have to kind of cut their teeth a little bit outside of the state and these out-of-conference matchups and kind of work their way up a little bit. Uh, they'll get that home and home with the, with the Florida, you know, with the Florida's, the Florida States and the Miami's. Do you think, I just do you, don't think it'll be out the, I don't think it'll be out the gate. Do you think neutral site games are now, you look at, look, look at the interest UCF's fans have gotten for this bowl game, which is basically a neutral site, Tampa. Oh, it is a neutral site. Right. So could we see more of this for UCF here down the road, whether it be at Florida Citrus Sports in Orlando, whether it be in Tampa, Jacksonville, whatever, do you think the doors open there for some possibilities to maybe do a one-offs? Oh, absolutely. It may not be against yeah. a state school. Right, right. But, uh, uh, you know, though the first thing I'm thinking of is the kickoff in Atlanta. Yeah. Uh, would be a great landing spot or or in Texas. Yeah. Um, you know, Houston, ha- Houston has that big, a kickoff game that would be a good landing spot for, for UCF. Uh, being a, a Power 5 team sh- soon uh, will open that door. They've already shown that when – when UCF fans are motivated, they move. Um, they, you know, we, we talk about, you know, old players aren't moving. Sometimes fans need motivation too. You know, uh, UCF, uh, you know, in the Gasparilla or St. Pete, the insert name here, or the, I wish I had some Bitcoin bowl. Uh, you know, the game never broke 30,000. Granted the first half of it, you know, two thirds of it was at Tropicana field, which is a terrible place to watch a football game. Well, it's not um, meant but, to be to watch a football game. It's a baseball stadium. Yeah, and I and I've covered multi, a, a slew of East West Shrine games there. And yeah, it's not meant for football. It really is. It's you know for these little college all star games, sure, it's fine. And you know uh, the East West Shrine game has since moved to uh, Las Vegas starting this this year, uh, which I'm kind of sad about because I did enjoy going to that game and working it. But uh, at Raymond James, you know. You should be able to get thirty thousand fans there. I'm going to put a little asterisk on, on, on you know, the 2019 game because the time was terrible. Was two thirty on Monday afternoon? Agreed. That was a bad slot. Having said that, if UCF's playing Marshall in the same time slot this year, in that same slot they're playing Florida, I don't think there's as much interest as there is for the Florida game. I mean, brands well, matter. Um, that, that's 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 yeah. That that's a gimme. I mean, no, but I agree. I just want to point that out because there's some that would argue like, no, I'm just going to go see my team no matter what. No, I think the the opponent matters in this uh, scenario. It, it does when you when you're talking like in state teams. You know, you're talking about the the you know the the Miamis, the Florida States, the Floridas. Yeah, that's going to matter. Uh, you know, if it was you know Marshall versus you know Louisiana Tech or, or Louisiana Tech, right. it wouldn't matter. Correct. If it was even Georgia Tech, I don't think it would have mattered. Correct. I agree with that. Uh, maybe a little bit because of the, the P5 buzz that comes with it. But, you know, obviously, once you put in the state team, uh, that that changes that changes the whole ball game. You know, the, the stakes are different. The stakes are higher. There's more at play because now you're, you're, you're fighting for recruits with this. Uh, and and you're, you're, you're trying to establish the fact that you're the new guy on the block. 
uh, you're an equal now. Uh, you know, that's what that's the big thing is that UCF wants to say, I'm equal to you. And Florida and them all want to say, no, you're not. This is how you do it. Beat them on the field. You're going to have the financial windfall coming later once once they fully integrate in the conference and everything. Uh, and so they'll be able to start, you know, the arm, you know, hanging out in the arms race because uh, right now UCF uh, has to scrape to get by. And, you know, obviously that it's, it's not fun. It's not cool. I'm just the way it is. But, you know, the hope is that's changing soon. And I, as soon as maybe July 2023, we'll start uh, getting some 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 clues on that. Uh, one last thing, we'll have more coverage by the way in UCF Florida till from now until kickoff. We'll have some night shifts between now and then. Articles on Black and Gold Internet. So trust me, we got a lot still to go on the UCF Florida game. But another hot topic this week: Cincinnati made the playoff. It's a miracle. It's a it's a Christmas miracle. The thing that wasn't supposed to happen, the fix. It was never it, no chance in hell. People said whatever happened happened. Cincinnati okay. made the playoff. To, to make a, a, a fun a fun quip on that, you know, it happened on Sunday, you know, being being of the Jewish faith, it was the end of Hanukkah. So it's a Hanukkah miracle. There you go. <laughs> we got plans for this. Cincinnati's in the playoff. They will play Alabama. And there's been a lot of chatter. Kurt Herbstreet has made some tweets, comments that uh, people get mad. Jeff's still mad. He's like, no, this is still a bit. Look. Here's what I'm saying, and I, I think Kurt has gotten a raw deal on this. I'm going to defend Kirk on this because I've listened to Kirk for years talk. Kirk's for expanding the playoff. I'm for expanding the playoff. I don't think anyone's not for expanding okay. the playoff. Well, I think people have – well, no, there's some that, you know, that are – No, let me phrase that. That matter. Okay, very good. Anyone who matters okay. wants the playoffs to expand. There's All too right, much but, money to be But had. I think that's important to emphasize because I think people when, like, Kirk and I – I've defended this, you know, feel. I've said – since this show is like three, we've done over 300 episodes. I've said since 2017, when this became a hot topic, that a G5 team can make the playoff. Do they have to jump an extra hurdle? Of course, yeah. Is it fair? No. But you know what? That's life. That's how this works. It's, I, I can't, you know, it's it's one of those things. It's not a criteria to go undefeated. It's not a criteria to win a championship. There's a lot of flaws. You know, but the point I did say is a G5 team can make it. And people like Jeff, and others out there say, no, no chance in hell. It'll never happen. Well, it happened. And I don't care. You could say, well, if this would have happened, if this would have happened. No, nothing. doesn't matter. What happened is Cincinnati got in. And one of the reasons they got in is because they were willing to play a one-off at Notre Dame. They didn't fight Notre Dame. They didn't say, hey, let's do a home and home. Let's do, you know, th- no, they just took the game. And they beat Notre Dame. And yeah, they got lucky. Notre Dame had a great year. You know what? Notre Dame, more times than not, are very good. You know who's usually not? Teams like Maryland's of the world's. They're usually not great. So good for them. I say praise Cincinnati for getting in instead of trying to make excuses of why they got in. I say I applaud Cincinnati, and I think this is a good thing for the sport moving forward. But yet some people can't let it go. They can't just say, hey, good good job, committee. Thank you for letting them in. They still got a bitch. Well, I... I'm going to play a little devil's advocate on Fair. this one. I think I think it's both your correct and both of your wrong. Uh, part of it's luck. Yes. Cincinnati inked this deal in 2019 before, you know, in between the 2018 and 2019 season. There's the luck aspect. Yes. You were lucky that you scheduled this one off against a team that turned out to be a top five team. 
I mean, you don't know that. I mean, when UCF scheduled North Carolina, they were coming off a 12-win season. Uh, they had, I think they went like 11 and one or 12 and one. I believe. Right, right, right. Larry uh, Fedora had it rolling. Right, right, right. Yeah. And that was when uh, Mitch Trubisky uh, led them. Yep. Uh, you know, there, there was expectation that they were going to be good. And then they kind of just fell, you know, they kind of fell off. Uh, you know, there's the luck aspect. Yeah. Uh, is there a bias towards P5? Absolutely. You'd be lying yourself if you said there but wasn't. But that's no, uh, let me defend. It's no different. Oh, hold on, wait, 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 wait. Okay. Let me finish. Let me Go finish. ahead. Um, so, however, uh, when, when the CFP was, uh, was formed, uh, they basically, everyone had a shot. They never specified how much of a shot you have, but they did specify everyone had a shot. Uh, they said that if, if, if Houston ran the table in 16, they would have been in be based on uh, likely because of the, of the schedule, the out of conference schedule they had, obviously you won't, you really don't know how that would have played out because right, you know, they, they, they kind of fell off during the season. Uh, but as, as we've seen with the near misses of UCF in 17 and 18 and Cincinnati in 20, uh, unlike other P5 teams, it's not a one year thing. Now they claim uh, that prior year does not matter in the CFP, and and that's I'll I'll call that a bold faith lie. Oh yeah 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 of course yeah I agree. they claim it is, but it's a bold faith lie. Uh, prior year made everything happen. Uh, Cincinnati. Oh wait, that's the case in every sport. Game. That's well, in every sport too, by the way. However, however, a P five doesn't necessarily need a good prior year to make a run because they're going to have big wins scattered in there within their conference, unless you're the ACC, which is, it's just a vastly overrated conference. Well, in the Pac-12 though, I mean, they both, like the, when was the last time the Pac-12 got in? Was uh, what, Washington in 16? I mean, we're acting like it's only the G5 that gets left out. There are power fives that get it. The problem with the system was, and this is the mistake, and I agree with you on this. When they said that everybody has a chance at four teams, no, the math, no, the mathematics tells you no, you can't. Not everybody can make it with four teams. It's a bad number if you want everybody to have a chance. Of course not. There was going to be major conference champions that were not going to make the playoff. I think they're idiots for even agreeing to that. But I think the problem is this sport it was incremental, though. It's incremental, the, and that's the thing. The sport works like a glacier. They, <laughs> understatement right but no people don't understand that they think they could just fix this in two minutes no well we're, we're seeing it right now they can't agree on Bingo. On, a, on a 12 you know they're they're the debate between eight and 12 team they can't agree on a system agree. agree because everybody has their own ideas it's not as simple and you and i have been consistent and you i'm gonna give you the credit because when this whole talk began in the summer, you were the one that said, whoa, everything, this ain't going to happen as fast as people are saying. Because people are saying, oh, this will be a done deal really quickly. Well, no, it isn't. It takes a lot more complicated. And that's okay. Take your time. Get it right. It's not, and, and I said this in 2017. I think people have this idea like, hey, if you yell out and complain that the system's going to change tomorrow. No, it isn't. It's going to take time. They're going to expand, and they're going to expand because they want to make more money. It's not because they think it's the right thing to do. They're going to do it because it's the more money uh, in this deal. Well, here, here's the other part of the CFP issue is is the access bowls versus the contract bowls. Yes. Uh, and, and it becomes more of a splitting of the haves and the have-nots. You know, look at the Pac-12. You know, we... The Pac-12, the champion is a three-loss team. You know, you went ten and three. 
Uh, aside from fact, they're they're 11th ranked, which you know when you think about it, it's kind of an overinflated rank. I don't think Utah is even that good, right? Um, but guess what? They go to the Rose Bowl automatically. You know, they win the Pac-12 automatically go to the Rose Bowl. Do they? Do they really deserve another better? I would wager that there are better teams that have been ranked lower because of bias. That well, that's a, the problem with the sport is they're trying to keep the bowl system like it was, and yet insert, you know, it's just impossible. Like they're trying to preserve that stupid, well, the big 10 pack 10. What I mean is, there. is the fact of the, the five power conferences as part of this deal, get a right. massive ton or more um, financial windfall. than the group of five, and it, it happens every single year, like by contract. I mean, that's right. the rule. It doesn't even matter who makes the, the semifinals or anything. Uh, just just by existing, you get this huge windfall. I, I, it's like you know, 50, 60 million. The G5 splits, what, 90 or so? Amongst sure. all of them. Uh, you know, obviously, there is a flaw in the system. So, so as a result, yeah, sure, you're going to have a P5 bias, but you're also setting them up to continue to be dominant by the G5 of the the new system would have uh, the uh, the Bulls being with an automatic G5. What's best for the sport does not. All the P5 conferences are going to agree, give them the, the automatic spot, and all the G5s are going to say, no, we don't want that. Um, but eventually the G5 is going to have to relent. They're going to lose. They're going to have to relent, right. You're going to lose. You have no leverage. No leverage. It's simple as that. Take it or leave it. And by the way, in July, no it, leverage. People are like, oh, let's, let's create a G5 playoff. Yeah, that's what they want. That's what the that's right. what a lot of these power five brokers Agreed. want. They want G five to go do their own thing, so they can keep all the money. And you're you know they're not gonna oh uh, in the CFP, and that's why they signed on in the first place. That's why they were in the BCS. Right. Lots. And guess what? Starting July twenty twenty three, potentially UCF will be one of those people. They're going to say, "Yeah, we want, we don't, we want our piece of the pie." Screw the G five. Like it or not, UCF's going to have to turn heel on this, and some fans may have to deal with that. They already are heel. Well, they are. UCF's been heel since the end of twenty seventeen. Well, I'm just uh, saying. Like, I think there's some people that are like, "Well, UCF uh, should still UCF should still fight for the little guy." No, 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 no. From a business standpoint, and when you get to the Big Twelve, you got to worry about yourself. And that's the sport. Well, I'm sorry. That's just the way it is. Yeah, everyone's ev- – well, it's it's business Darwinism, you know. It's yeah. evolve yeah. Or, or, or die. It's, you know, you've got to – if you don't take care of number one, who will? Bingo. Uh, you know, so I, I can understand why a lot of fans are bitter about Cincinnati breaking the ceiling. Uh, but, I mean, it was actually – it's really good for the sport. Yeah. Uh, it proves that the ceiling can be broken. Uh, and because we've we've seen near misses, you know, with the whole with, with the BCS era, we've seen near misses. Uh, there was, some, you know, Utah got screwed in 08. Boise State got screwed in 09. I mean, we've seen short ends um, before, so we were waiting for something to finally you know break on through and and get to a point where they control their own destiny. Cincinnati controls their own destiny. Yeah, they're going to have a hard matchup against uh, Alabama, but they win two games, they've won the championship. 
and that's what everybody it's, it's wanted. Their power because they're what, there, and that's what everybody yeah, wanted. All, and we got all, it. All anyone wanted was a shot. Well, we've proven. Granted, it took two undefeated seasons, a near miss at uh, against Georgia in, in the near six bowl game, uh, a coaching staff that that largely stayed intact, and a roster that largely stayed intact uh, to be able to do it. You know, UCF uh, fans, I know, were upset, but hey, they lost their coaching staff from 17 to 18. Uh, you know, that hurt their credibility going into the 2018 season. And that's why they got pushed down. And then once Mackenzie Milton went down, it was over. There was no shot. Um, you know, at least uh, there was an argument beforehand uh, that you could have, you know, pushed it, you know, very close. But once he went down, uh, that, that it was game over on, on that front. He, even with uh, a win against LSU, I mean, as we saw down the road, things, you know, there was a stumble. Uh, the target just got bigger and bigger, and eventually right. uh, they, they they cracked. Uh, they they had a couple of near losses that that just cracked under pressure. And, and you know it's hard. You know it's a twenty five game win streak. It's it's hard to maintain that. You know it's not done often. Uh, but we should be celebrating Cincinnati. Yes, uh, that's my whole point. I, th- I do think Kirk's tweet was was pretty bad though. Um, it was not a, it was not well written. Uh, it was, if you're going to pick a hill to die on, that's not the way to do it. <laughs> it really isn't. Um, he, he has to understand that, you know, he has to pull, he has to separate himself from a little bit and understand what, what the fans have gone through and have seen and, and everything of uh, years and years of being basically told what you do is not what? good enough. Because that's what the CFB committee was saying. Oh, your strength of schedule is not good enough. Uh, you you have to do more. It's like, what more pound of flesh does a school have to do to finally be taken seriously? And you know what it was? Get lucky. And that's what it was. And, and yeah, you can't what if, oh, what if Oklahoma State scored a touchdown? You're going to drive yourself nuts. Uh, but he wrote it so poorly. And understand there's a lot of, you know, Stress and angst led to this point, but you know what? Let's just enjoy the ride. Instead, he mocked them. He well because the I, I, mean, I think he had mo- legit. They hold on. They had legitimate eh, rights though. But I think his, they his, for for years the fans were told and schools were told what you did wasn't good enough. And you know UCF, what were they going to? They couldn't fix the problem. And you know you're scheduling years ahead. You know you scheduled North Carolina and Georgia Tech. And Louisville years ahead, and by the time you played them, they were they're not good. Well, then what that's something. Do? Well, then address that more than the system. To me, it sounds like that we got is bigger the system. No, no, no. I'm saying the whole. I'm not talking about the playoff system. I'm talking about the whole college football system. That's what needs to be under attack. It's all. It's all connected, though. It's all, all connected. It's all part of the I think. I think Kirk has heard about this stuff for seven years, and I think he loves the sport. He has a passion for the sport, and I think he's tired of people picking on the sport. And I think in particular the network, because people think ESPN has this conspiracy and this or that. I think he had enough about it. And I understand where he's coming from because I was the one that said, I do think a G5 can make the playoff. And people would go after me and say, no, you're crazy. You're just a defender of the committee. I don't like what the committee's doing sports in the college sports in general. But I also don't believe that they get in a room and they're like, all right, how do we screw them? Yeah, let's put Baylor in there. F them. I don't, <laughs> I don't really believe that. I think they generally – pick the four teams they believe are the four best teams. I'm not saying you have to agree with it, but I don't I don't believe it's like, all right, let's rig it. 
And that's where I think Kirk's coming well, from. Well, I mean, I don't, well, it's it's not rigged. Uh, not not in that fashion. Um, I think I, I think fans oh, think that it is. ESPN screw UCF this right. time. Right. Uh, I don't think they actually do that. Uh, I I don't think. I'll be honest. I don't think ESPN cares enough about UCF to actually um, agreed. But also, do you remember when Gate? Remember when everybody was like, "Oh, Game Day will never come to UCF. They hate UCF." What did Game? What did Game Day do? They came to UCF in 2018. They came. They came to UCF. Right. You needed. You needed a hook. You needed a story. Um, yeah. I say that about the like. I said that about the bowl games. You know, the bowl games need a story. It helps sell the game. Um, that's why UCF versus Florida is such a good match. There's a story there. You know, you know, you're, you know, the new guy is trying to establish, you know, his, his presence in, on the eve of, you know, of switching conferences into the big, the, the power five. Uh, it's, it's no different. Uh, I, I, I think fans, you know, short for fanatics live, you know, live in a, in a team centered universe and think, their their program matters more than they really do. Correct. Uh, you know, they. I I I I think you know it's, it's not a tinfoil hat conspiracy theory or or anything like that. It's and, and you, you know you talk about what's going on today. Oh, you know, Cincinnati doesn't deserve to be there. Oh, uh, they didn't play. You know, you know, UCF didn't get it. Hey, you know. We love UCF as much as anybody, you know, as, as much as the next guy. But we also can take a step back and understand the truth. Uh, UCF's schedule was terrible, and I'll I'll tell you one thing. And I wish I saved it at the time I did it because uh, it's it's still relevant today. Uh, you know, we talk about the the Collie Matrix. You know, UCF win a championship through that. Well, if UCF played Georgia Tech they would have not won the Kali matrix right. because Georgia tech would have pulled their score down and they would have ended up second. Uh, you know, so I mean, yeah, UCF had a terrible schedule and it was almost even worse. Uh, I mean, what are you going to, what are you going to do? Uh, it's I, I mean, there's not much you can do. You, yeah. you play the team in front of you and, and you hope that you have a conference that's strong enough next to you. Uh, you know, 17 wasn't bad. You know, you had Memphis and, and South Florida. You had pretty good runs. Uh, 18 was, was decent. Uh, 19 actually wasn't bad either. Um, but, you know, 2021, yeah, I can understand why fans are upset because the American was was not nearly as good as in prior years from, from a top to bottom standpoint. You had three, well, I guess at this point it became two and a half teams up top and then everybody else. Uh, you know, first half SMU was pretty good. And then, you know, like the Randy Shannon style, second half, not so good. You know, uh, you know, Houston and, and Cincinnati were a class above everybody else. I mean, I think we just need to enjoy it. Uh, Dang, yeah, that's know, all I'm saying. I know it, some people have complained, oh, Cincinnati fans are being unbearable. Uh, hey, hey, all I got to <laughs> say is, have you looked in the mirror over you, the last we would, we would be just, years? right, we would I'm be just the saying, same. Uh, and I, and I can you tell have, you, you have yeah. to separate yourself from, from the fandom from a little bit. Well, and I can say to a lot of UCF fans have gone to Cincinnati that I've talked to say that they're very classy. They treated them well when they were up there at Nippert uh, the last few years. So look, man, just enjoy the game on December 31st. All right. Just, you know what? The system is what it is. I I understand if you don't like it. I understand your best that you missed it four years ago, whatever. And it, we're not going backwards. They Cincinnati made the playoff. I was right. 
again. But yeah, there's hopefully we will have a better system down the road, 2025 to 2026 range, like Drew and I have said for a long time. But in the meantime, just enjoy life. It's very precious. Enjoy the games on December 31st. And if you don't like it, then don't watch. It's okay. I don't you know. It's fine. It is what it is. Anyway, that's it. Well, I, I well enjoy the ride. Watch the games because if if you complain and then don't you know about the system and then don't watch this that game you know the the the, the Cotton Bowl. I mean, you, you're <laughs> hypocrite. That, right. That's hypocritical. You're complained about the system. Well, the system, the the ceiling's been broken. The glass ceiling has been broken. Uh, it, we have proven that while it may take a miracle and and changing the rules of physics, uh, it can indeed happen. It's possible so, to happen. And take take notes on how you do it. it. Yes, support it. Uh, remember, and a lot of a lot of people don't you know kind of forget this, and and some admit to being petty about it. If Cincinnati being in the CFP semifinal means one. More money goes to the American this year because you get a bonus by being in the CFP. Uh, you don't get, and it doesn't matter from, if from a final standpoint, but just being in the top four, more money go, is going to go to the American that could have gone somewhere else. Two, now you've got a team. Hey, we got a team in the playoff that uh, when it comes to Big 12 negotiations for your next contract, because hey, they're coming with you know UCF and BYU and Houston over to you know, the Big 12. So there's value in that. So you want them to do a, hey, they, they win it all the way. They get a champion, a CFP championship. Uh, that go, that's going to have value when the Big 12 contract negotiation comes up. Hey, we've got the 2021 CFP champions, uh, you know, on, on our roster. Uh, that's worth something. Uh, again, it's much like the Gasparilla Bowl. If you want to, you know, if you want to establish yourself as legit, one, get a team on the field. You pulled it off. Now go win the game. We'll see what happens. That's Drew Glukoff, everybody. Tell where they can uh, find you, Drew. Uh, you can, if you haven't blocked me yet on Twitter, you can <laughs> find me at Statboy Drew. <laughs> uh, you can find the work at BlackOBenary.com and, of course, Night Shift there. Speaking of Night Shift, Kyle Nash, who was with Drew and I on Sunday, will join us next. We'll talk some UCF hoops. Where do they go from here as they get set for a pretty important road trip next week? Where are they at right now? I'll talk to Kyle about that next. You're listening to the Black and Go Benneret Podcast. Welcome back to the Black and Go Benneret Podcast. Eric Lopez here with you. Let's talk some UCF hoops with none other than the man who has been on the court, has been recently both watching the men's and the women's basketball teams in person in their last home games. I speak of our good friend Kyle Nash of the Black and Go Benneret. Kyle, of course, we were just on Night Chef Talking UCF Florida, which you can check out on YouTube as well as on our podcast devices. But we're going to talk some hoops here since we got pretty much all of our football energy out on that one because hoops is kind of under the radar right now. This is kind of the slow time of the year in basketball, especially for both teams. Both teams have this week off. And so we kind of want to see where we think both teams kind of stand. Let's start with the men. They beat Bethune-Cookman in a game that you covered uh, this past weekend, 81 to 45, uh, the snap a two game losing streak. Uh, Darren Green led the way with 18 points. Brandon Mahan had 11. Tyam Freeman had 12 points in the ball game. Uh, the Knights really took care of business. They'll host North Carolina A&T this weekend on Saturday. 
what was kind of the talk after the Bethune-Cookman game uh, as far as where UCF stands right now, which is a total of five and two overall record? Where, what's kind of the feeling inside that building? So it was a matter give give Coach Dawkins credit for having the ability to make adjustments and keep a lot of of of, of uh, personalities. Like all these guys are very energetic on on the men's team. Um, you know, kind of focused and moving. It, it, it could have been a very easy situation of, of guys, you know, just kind of um, falling apart furthermore, you know, after that Auburn uh, loss didn't go the way they wanted. Um, one could say that they kind of went 50-50 testing against big schedule games with the Oklahoma loss by three and then um, Auburn going the way that it did. Note some of the names you rattled off at the top performance. I mean, we're used to seeing Darren Green do good things, and he's usually accompanied by Darius Perry, who was still very present in this contest. Make no mistake. But Brandon Mahan being a big deal um, of late, not something you've seen a lot of to start the season. And, and Coach Dawkins said that the idea was for him to get hot at some point. I pointed out in my uh, uh, write-up of that game that I covered more from a kind of a big picture. It was a great opportunity. Sure, it was a dub, but it was a great opportunity to get some tune-up going. Brandon Mahan, a 20% shooter from three in the six games of actions he saw and the five he started, um, started this contest three for three. That's the kind of game that can get some confidence back. Certainly be shooting a lot better than 20% in the future if he can build on that, right? And then also you mentioned Tyam Freeman's involvement. He and Darius Johnson, both as young guys, listen, proof of chemistry, in my opinion, in, in basketball is being able to participate in an alley-oop. <laughs> Darius Johnson had one to CJ Walker first, and on the very next offensive exchange, Tyam throws one down on a lobby gets from Perry. That is showing of getting these younger guys woven into the uh, thread. And that's what you want to see, especially from a team you're claiming depth on, right? Yeah, no question. The depth's key. But the question from, you know, taking the next step, I think if you look at the seven games, you could see the potential and the positivity there. Uh, but they, their two losses was to Oklahoma at home and then at Auburn. You know, mm -hmm. we look back, you know, when we looked at the schedule to start the year, we, we, we identified four marquee non-conference games. The it Oklahoma is. game, the Auburn game, the Florida State game, which is coming up in sunrise on the 18th, and then the home game against Michigan on the 30th. Another under-the-radar game is at Temple, December 15th. Conference starts actually on Wednesday, December 15th, which Correct. it's kind of weird to say, but there's conferences a week away. And I guess my question, my concern or, or question, however you want to phrase it, is Isaiah Adams. Do you see him starting to kind of get it going from an offensive standpoint? Because I feel for this team to make, take that next step, you want a consistent production out of Mayhem and or Adams. You agree with that? Oh, I absolutely do. And that's why I focus on Mayhem. Adams, I think in this with this particular group, it's kind of hard to fit Adams in, in a pre precise spot, right? Because you usually, you know, the pictured starting five is going to be what? Perry, Green, Mayhem, uh, Mbake and Walker, right? Zay coming in and throwing down a dunk every now and again off the bench along with Dre Fuller. That's cool. I, 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 I'm less concerned with Zay getting into the mix because for, for this team, if, if I were doing it night in, night out, he would be kind of a, a, a third guy up front, so to speak. Or you a know? guy that could provide that scoring off the bench if you don't right. start him because he's capable of scoring. Like we've seen him sure. capable of taking that game over. And I feel at times he presses offensively. 
uh, a little bit trying to find that game and find that rhythm. Because uh, when you face Sometimes these tough teams, it, yeah. forcing it, yeah. And I think that's key because I think what happens when the top we play the top teams, they're going to gear up on a mayhem. They're going to gear up on Perry and things like that, or Darren Green, like Auburn did. Darren struggled against Auburn. Yeah, you know, absolutely. I think I think of um, um, Darius Perry still had his buckets, but one guy ain't going to do it. But see, that's the beauty of the situation, Elo. It's it's you're getting these guys tuned up in this part of the schedule building into that temple game, which then leads to that FSU game and sunrise, which then leads to that Michigan game. That's the beauty of coach Dawkins taking advantage of this past game against Bethune as, as a tune-up game, much also with North Carolina A&T. Perhaps that's the part where he could focus a bit more on working um, Isaiah Adams into it. And, and the, the, the getting, getting also other guys that aren't as, as, as involved you know, uh, usually a, a Tony Johnson, for example, you know, sure. something like that. You, you get these guys ready because something, and I'm going to knock on wood, so I can't be blamed for it. Right. But something <laughs> I can say is that neither of these teams have had to deal with any sort of health crises at this point. Um, oh, so, <laughs> yeah, I know. I, I, I pointed out as an analyst, not as one dec- declaring things, you know, um, and, 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 and we'll get to the women in a second. Sure, I think it's doubly interesting that they haven't dealt with anything yet. But the concept being these opportunities taken for these tune-ups are at the right time to kind of build into these bigger FSU and Michigan games before we start full-blown conference play after that Temple game. And, and you know, Coach Dawkins is taking advantage of that. You got to like it. What do you want to see from them against North Carolina A&T here before they get that conference opener against Temple? Temple has a good backcourt. Uh, and then obviously Florida State, these are big games. But what do you want to see from a team aspect that you want to see them take, you know, improve on maybe or, or just in general? Man, the turnovers got to come down. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and I think that's something that they were also working on, you know, against um, Bethune. But again, Third straight game, Elo. Very interesting that the past, past three games have had the same number of turnovers at 18. Coach Dawkins ain't feeling that. You know what I mean? Now, granted, at the end of the uh, Bethune-Cookman game, with it well out of hand. I mean, they won it by 36. But if they weren't kind of messing around toward the end, they could have very easily had this one by 50, right? You know, so I could kind of slug that off. But by the same token, Dawkins was talking earlier in the year about having them finish games strong. And they got to that point. That's how they beat um, Miami and Jacksonville, which is interesting because the Jacksonville Dolphins were the college they played, but then they played the Miami Hurricane. Anyway, (laughs) in both those games, they finished strong, and that's what enabled them to win both those games. So if I'm Coach Dawkins, that turnover number is still high, and I'm I'm not concerned, but I want to make sure that the – sloppy finish at the end even if it is again Bethune Cookman uh, that's got to get a little polish on it and I'm sure he'll be addressing that men's will take on North Carolina AT at home on two o'clock it'll be on ESPN plus and then of course conference opener at Temple Wednesday December 15th believe it or not conference play will be here so mm-hmm. hopefully they can uh, do that on the women's side uh, they come in, they got the week off as well. It's final exam weeks for everybody. So this is not, uh, this is normal. Women's is six and one after a thrilling 52-51 win over Arkansas on Thursday, December the 2nd. They are receiving 20 votes, by the way, in the college, uh, in the uh, coaches poll. 
so they're starting to climb up on the votes. Not right where we thought they maybe we thought we had a shot to an outside shot of making the top 25. They're not there yet, but they're getting votes. Uh, uh, Tom, you know, Cream, the guy who does the ESPN bracketology on the women's basketball, he's the Joe Lenardi of women's basketball, has UCF in right now. Uh, they have three bids in for the America. It's a little early, grant you. Uh, we're probably spent, you know, it's a little too early, but Charlie Cream is his name. We've had him on the show. They've got UCF in the first four against Old Miss. Remember, the women have now gone to 68 teams like the men, so they will also have the playing games in the first round. I am sure there will be many critics like Jeff who will rip that too. Nonetheless, uh, don't even be sorry. (laughs) But you were there at the Arkansas game, and I think that was a significant game because Arkansas is a good team. That's a, a projected NCAA tournament team. We shall see if that, you know, continues to track if you're a UCF fan you hope that's the case because that's arguably one of the best non-conference home wins UCF's had there especially in the a era and diamond battles Kyle what a story she is clearly the best player on this team and I think it's time that the conferences when they award these all conference selections and things to give her some respect Oh, absolutely. I mean, it may not hold much weight that she was the MVP at the Cancun challenge, but I mean, you got add that to the resume too, Elo. going to Mexico and, and kicking butt on, on foreign soil is something worth mentioning, especially when one of the opponents was USC. Right. And, and add this, EK, <laughs> the, I, if I remember correctly, it was a 10 point run that Arkansas started with. And I asked coach Abe uh, in the post-game press conference, you know, she, she pulled them over there and I'm like, what was it that 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 sparked you guys to to kind of bounce back from the the rough start and she you know pulled him over and 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 she had asked them okay you don't look comfortable what do you want to run we'll run it you just got to run it well i just need you comfortable when when the coach is at the point with where they're throwing that hat of okay what do you guys want to do it's always going to be for comfort i don't care the sport but, but Coach Abe told me about that, or, or told us about that, the postgame presser. And when that happened, they started to click. Brittany Smith may have been the first one to hit, sh- uh, to hit a shot for the team. But after that, Tay Sanders and Diamond Battles went off. In the second half especially, Tay Sanders got involved in a way that she hadn't been in a lot of the game. Also, Masanikaba uh, started a, a scoring spree in the second half that really started to bring that strong finish. I think it made the ladies start to believe that they belonged in that arena, despite the rough start. And lo and behold, here it came, you know, they, they managed to keep up and get an amazing clutch shot um, by diamond battles. Once again, they won the fourth quarter too, Kyle. We talked about that last time last week against USC, how they won the fourth quarter. They win the fourth quarter, 17 to 12 over Arkansas in the fourth quarter to pull out that 52-51 win. Diamond battles with that incredible reverse layup uh, mm-hmm. to give him the lead, and then they get the stop. They were 15 of 20 at the free throw line in the second half, 19 yeah. of 28 for the game. Arkansas for the entire game was only 6 of 8 from the free throw line. That was huge for UCF to win the free throw battle because, look – this is not a team that's going to score 80, 90 points. All right. This is, this right. is their identity. They're on defense first and they're going to try to get fast points off turnovers and in the free throw line. And I thought that was key diamond with 13 points in the game, seven of 11 at the line. She knows how to get to the line. Tay Sanders, 15 points, eight boards, as you mentioned, was solid. 
Uh, this team will now go on the road, and I mean go on the road for a long yeah. road trip. Holy smokes. They will be at Mercer Sunday the 12th, which is uh, this Sunday at 2 o'clock in Macon, Georgia. Then they're going to go to Seton Hall on Tuesday the 14th, and then the big one against Iowa, nationally ranked Iowa as a, t- as a Final Four contender, Caitlin Clark who is probably now the heavy favorite to win the National Player of the Year with UConn star player Beckers being out six to eight weeks with a knee injury. And then they'll conclude this road trip at Princeton on the 29th. We will focus more on Iowa next week. But what do you want to see here, Kyle, from them on the road at Mercer and at Seton Hall? Um, That they go at least two and two, right? Two two and (laughs) out, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, well, well uh, for the next two games, two and zero there. Um, for those four games, I should say that you mentioned, I want them to go two and two. Like that—that's what Minimum. you're looking okay. for as a fan. Yeah. Um, but the what's interesting in the road trip here, I got to say, eleven. Ever since playing USC, or I could even go back further. Actually, ever since they lost to Tennessee in a game where they didn't shoot many free throws, right? They've had eleven points or more, no fewer than 11 points on free throws. Attacking the basket is where these ladies live. You mentioned their defense and how one of their goals every game is to have at least one quarter where they hold their opponent to to single-digit scoring, which they did against Arkansas, right, in the second quarter. But the other piece is to make sure that they attack that basket down low and get to the free throw line. Coach Abe said as much, and again, after the Arkansas game, I tell them in the first five minutes of every corner, you know, attack the basket, get to the foul line. That's that, and and they hit them. That's the important thing. You you mentioned that the, uh, they had, did have a slower start. They were at four, only four and eight in free throws earlier in the game. And you mentioned the second half burst in free throw shooting that made a big part of the difference. And and you know that, that's why I mentioned the injuries or lack thereof is kind of shocking at this point because the ladies play rough for UCF. I mean, the physical team. You, yeah, say what you will about um, Tennessee and and that game and how that should have gone. There were some six five and six four ladies that they were playing against on their side who were on the ground. They fight. Brittany Smith, Destiny Thomas, tough, tough pair of post players that battle and get rebounds. Destiny Thomas, especially on the offensive side. So there you go. We'll see how they do on the road. Abe is usually likes to t- give them on give them on the road. A lot of bonding experience. Get them ready for conference play. We'll see how it goes. It starts off in Macon, Georgia on Sunday against Mercer. Then they go to Seton Hall. Kyle and I will be watching him from afar. Kyle, where can they also find your work? Well, check me out on Twitter at the SOTG. On Instagram, as the same, the SOTG. And, of course, on Facebook as a student of the game. And my writings for any of the hoops for UCF will, of course, be on blackandgoldbanneret.com. Kyle also, obviously, helping out on Night Shift with Drew. Don't be surprised you see those two once again reunite during the bowl se- uh, as we get you set for the Gasparilla Bowl between UCF Florida. Kyle, uh, always a pleasure, sir. Uh, we'll talk uh, next week. Yeah, honor and joy as usual, man. Until next time, bud. Class dismissed. <laughs> Coming up, I'll be joined by Bryson Turner. We'll talk about UCF volleyball fall in the five-set thriller season come to an end in the second round against UCLA. What does it mean for them? We'll break it down next here on the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. And welcome back to this edition of the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Eric Lopez now joined by Bryson Turner. 
who's going to be our volleyball guy because uh, George Jeff out with back uh, recovering from back surgery. So, Bryson, you and I covered the uh, NCAA tournament virtually uh, with UCF. They go sent to Los Angeles where the number 13 national seed UCLA uh, was the host. UCF played Pepperdine in the first round, beat Pepperdine in four sets behind a monster match from McKenna Melville, who had a monster double-double. That would allow them to play UCLA, who swept Fairfield in three sets, tight sets, but they swept. And, man, what a battle on Saturday night in Los Angeles. Back and forth, these two teams went at it. UCF won the first set in a tight set, 27-25. UCLA blitzed them in the second set, 25-13, jumped out to an early 6-1 lead, only to see UCF respond, go up 25-19 to go up two sets to one, and led 13-8 in the fourth set. But UCLA was able to turn it around. They win the fourth, 25-22, and then they jumped all over UCF in the fifth. 15 to 7 to advance to the Sweet 16. UCF season ends at 27 and 7 on the year. But I think the big takeaway here, Bryson, is I think this was a successful run. You and I have said they got a great draw. We were proven correct. They didn't get screwed by the committee. Uh, there was no conspiracy. Uh, they got a good seed. They beat a good Pepperdine team. And then I thought pushed UCLA to the limits. Uh, and to me, this no UCF team has ever gone further in the D1 era than this UCF team. And previous UCF teams that have been in the second round, they have been swept. So this was the first UCF team to actually win a set, let alone two sets. And I think that's going to pay off for this team next season. They have a lot of players coming back, and you can't duplicate and, and, and you know and in practice playing in a fifth set in the second round with. First to 15 goes to the Sweet 16. I think this was a valuable experience for them. I think they'll learn from this. I'll, I think this is all positive. Your thoughts? Well, UCLA won for a couple of reasons. One, they dominated the soft touch. I cannot tell you how many times I was screaming at my television when I saw them just plop one over Watson and Moravik or whoever was blocking, and it landed just behind them. I'm like, oh, I'm just... I'm like, oh my gosh, I can't believe they're doing this so many times. I get, uh, so the reach, so that part just, they had him beat there. You know, you, 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 you what are you going to do? The other thing is that McKenna Melville had a bit of an off night offensively. 14, she did, she still got a double-double with 14 kills and 14 digs, but she had, but this was out of 63, I believe, attacks is what it's, this stats called, and uh, 14 errors. So offensively, McKenna had a bit of a rough night. And well, part of that part of that was UCLA's game plan was to take her out of the game. And what they do is, everywhere she goes, they put they have big bodies around her. And I the 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 key is would somebody else step up? Basically, UCLA's game plan was somebody other than McKenna Melville is going to beat us tonight. I mean, they, it almost happened because Claudia Dillon and and Heidi Bondi both did step up tonight. Amory Watson is uh, and Narissa Moravic as well had did some good job work offensively as well, but uh, in the end, uh, you know, you have people on the other side like Mac May, who's one of the top, who's in like the top twenty in kills. Right, Todd Todd Dagenet oh. said in the post game to both of us, he expects her to be a future Olympian. And boy, the way she was striking the ball in that fifth set, <laughs> those things were going 60, 70, 80 mile an hours, and they kind of attacked Kat, Caitlin Grimes, the freshman. 
you know, Chloe Shear, they, they kind of attacked the liberos and the youngsters, right? And, and really put the pressure on them in the fifth set as UCLA adjusted. Yeah, that's the downsides of having such young players be your primary defend uh, defenders, at least in the backcourt. Because you're, it's just, it's just gonna, it, it'll end up having those situations like that. I believe Jeff said on Twitter at one point that, um, you know, now we're we're kind of seeing now what having a true a true freshman libero can be like. And you know, I I've said it before when talking about Mikey Keene and football. You know, it doesn't matter how talented you are, a true freshman is a true freshman, and they and they are vulnerable to making true freshman mistakes. And we saw that with Caitlin Grimes on 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 that night. It was it was unfortunate to see. I mean, it, it but you know, it's kudos to UCLA. I mean, you look at their stats. Alain McCall had an excellent eve at excellent night, 17 kills, 20 digs. Zoe Fleck had 29 digs. Shelby Martin had 13. Their defense was very well put together to go against this team. And considering how I've been talking about how this might be one of the best UCF volleyball teams that's put, you know, played in the venue that I think that that's really speaks to how good this UCLA team is. And like you said, Mac May is a, a potential Olympian. And I think we definitely saw that tonight. The, the last think, weekend, right? It's not tonight. It's literally last oh, week. Yeah, like tonight, last week. I'm sorry. Like, I'm just kind of thinking of putting myself. They did back not play again, headspace. just for the record. Yeah, I'm putting that break. I'm putting it back in that. I'm putting myself back in that headspace. It's pain. It's painful, but you got to dissect it because, you know, this isn't the end. This is not the end. For one, we got a very good preview of Heidi Bondi, who is looking to, uh, I believe she's the right side hitter. So she will be taking over the Emory, Emory Watson position. Because of course Watson will be leaving with uh, Watson, Moravic, Catherine Westlich, and Tali Marman. All of them are departing this team. Uh, but we're, I think the big thing that we got to remember is we're still going to have Amber Olson and McKenna Melville. I think that having those two back is going to be huge for the momentum for this team going forward. You have your, I think your, I think Claudia Dillon really showed her ability on offense, so I think that is also very helpful. And so I think the key thing for this team going forward is you need to be able to find a way to, to not really replace, but be able to make sure that losing Narissa Moravic and Amory Watson isn't going to kill you. So, and Heidi Bondi has shown that. I think Heidi Bondi, during this postseason run, Heidi Bondi did a very good job, and I'm very excited to see what she'll do next season. I am also. Um, I've heard from Todd in previous press in previous press conferences that Mackenzie Chambers is looking very well and to possibly take up the ne- the new middle blocker role up next to uh, Claudia Dillon. So that is definitely going to be something to look out for as well. And then of course you have Chloe Shear and Caitlin Grimes, who are only going to get better as they continue to practice and start to gain more experience. And I think that's what's important about, about this game with UCLA is that they got experience in, they got experience in this, in this environment, especially when it's so far from home. Yeah. And I think that benefited them. You know, there was not a very difficult environment to play in front of. I mean, it was an arena, not a ton of people there. Uh, by the way, McKenna had 25 kills, 18 digs in the win over Pepperdine. That was a monster box score. Uh, but I think you mentioned some of the names. One of the keys for UCF, if they want to get to the Sweet 16, which is their goal. No UCF team's ever been to the Sweet 16 in a D1 era. They've got to get that scoring 
when teams try to take away McKenna. And it could be Heidi Bondi, it could be you know, you know, Claudia Dill, it could be whoever. They when that moment comes, that the supporting cast has to step up, right? It's kind of like the Bulls teams with Michael Jordan. When the teams focused on Jordan, you know, John Paxson hit his threes and Steve Kerr and Scottie Pippen, etc. I think that's the key with this team. If they want to get to the Sweet 16, and next year is McKenna's last year, so that's the goal. That's the goal. Uh, I think this run will help them because if they would have, and, and the reason I say that, some people would say, well, they lost in the second round. Why does it matter if it's three sets or five sets? If they get swept by UCLA, and you know, now you're like, man, that's tough. But I think these players, Bryson, going into the offseason, and you heard McKenna tell you this when you asked her about it, being that close, they know they were close. Right, like they were up thirteen eight in the fourth. They got to a fifth. They were eight points away. That now they know, like we can do this. We're really that close, and I think that'll motivate them for next season. And also, this puts away that rough loss to a high point back in the spring. Which, look, that was kind of that monkey. You know, it was an ugly loss. You kind of wish. Oh, you just shake your head how that happened. But you know, they learned from that. They put it behind them. They made a good run, and now you hope that experience pays off next year. You're going to be a heavy favorite to win a fifth straight conference title. As long as McKenna's on the court, you're always going to be the favorite. There's nobody that's close to them. The big question and the big expectations is, can this team now take the next step and get to that elusive Sweet 16, just like Cincinnati did a couple years ago with Jordan Thompson. When she was the star player, she's a few, now an Olympian gold medalist. Her senior year, her last year, they got to the Sweet 16. They broke through. Can UCF break through? We shall see. But they have good pieces. They'll have some new pieces coming in. But that's going to be the key now for them next year. Yeah. They're, oh, yeah. I mean, look, I think the big, the biggest two things, because I think the offense, you have McKenna Melville. I think at, at, you have McKenna Melville, you have Heidi Bondi, and this postseason proof, you have Claudia Dillon as well. I think offensively, this team is looking very, very good. The question marks and what is we're going to need to really keep an eye on is defense. McKenna is is great, but she can't be at can't be everywhere. You have Caitlin Grimes and Chloe Shear, who are young and talented players that need to gain some more just needs to gain some more reps. Just just what you got to do. So they'll definitely be worth keeping an eye on. But the other big thing, Eric is going to be who is going to be next with Narissa Moravic and Amory Watson, because those I've said it. Those are two of the three greatest blockers that this program has ever had alongside Tyra Harper. That is not easy to replace. So to so it's so to see who is going to become the primary blockers of this team is going is going is going to be important because that's going to be a a a a duty I suppose that changes hands. So I would so I think the biggest thing is going to be the defense, whether it's the digs in the backcourt or who's going to be the new blocker so that will be something to keep an eye on going forward in the offseason but it takes it takes comfort to know that you, we still have people like McKenna Melville and Amber Olson coming back and speaking of Melville uh re, re, just recently she was named to the ABCA Southeast All-Region team for the fourth time the first time ever a UCF player has ever done that she was only the second person to be named to the first team three times that was what and the, the first one was Delana Sardin so to see her get on the all-region team once more, I mean, we aren't surprised, but it just kind of goes to show you how important, how integral McKenna Melville has become to this team. And then also Anne-Marie Watson, 
got named got named as well. This is her first. This is her first time being named to the first team, and I think that is very well deserved. I think that she, honestly, if McKenna Melville had not been had it was not on this team, I would have. I would argue that she would have been the headliner. I mean, the local the local kid that is one of the best blockers and among the top ten in kills in program history. So I a very well deserved honor there by Anne Marie. And uh, congrats to, bo- to both of these women being named to the all-region team. Your thoughts on that, Eric? I say you should get credit for that. You wrote a feature on both of them, and they get honored. Coincidence? I think not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that is, ve- that is very true. And uh, I am ex- looking forward to covering this team going forward. I mean, there's a lot of great stories here. Uh, the stories here, Caitlin Grimes was actually, I was scrolling through my Twitter feed and Caitlin Grimes recently got a feature from one of my fellow uh, UCF student reporters. So that, so that was really interesting. And it, I think it really shows how deep this team is with, with not just talent, but also with stories. And I am very excited to see some of the new faces that we can right. meet next year. And what we could learn more about some of the older faces. So I'm very excited about about that. But you know, it's a brutal end of the season. But I think it's a it's a step it's a stepping stone. Next season, though, next season's going to be crunch time. McKenna, you mentioned. I mean, uh, McKenna Melville and, and Amber Marie Watts. For those that know, Bryson did a Know Your Night feature on those two. I still recommend you could read both of them on BlackAndGoldBanneret.com. Really good in depth stuff, McKenna is in this now she's there with harper and menchikova for the greatest players of all time she's the greatest ucf volleyball player of all time posted in the in the era of since 2000 and uh, she's obviously going to be chasing a lot of records uh come next fall which will be tremendous and Marie watson who i know you know very well went to the same high school you did correct that is right. She um, it wasn't for long. She graduated. She graduated uh, much be- uh, much before I did. So it wasn't that long. But I was in a newspaper class in high school, and I remember her name popping up a good bunch. A good bunch. So the name is certainly was certainly familiar to me, and I'm very glad that she represented Haggerty High School very well. You can read about uh, you can read about her and her rise in my in my Know Your Night article. And also, I actually have my McKenna Know Your Night as my pinned tweet on my Twitter account at It's Bryson Turner. So that is where you can find that. So, yeah, both both of these players are absolutely amazing, amazing women. And uh, and for Anne-Marie, she represented she represented, the, you know, just the local area very well. And I'm very glad that her time as a knight really yielded a lot and Again, I can't reinstate this up. As much as we talk about McKenna, there are so many other great players on this team. I mean, when you look at, again, Watson and Moravik, two, uh, th- two of the three greatest blockers uh, of, of all time for this program, and they're on the same team as McKenna Melville, who, is going, who currently has 1989 kills, 11 away from 2,000, and 162 kills away from Renata, Renata Menchikova for the all-time kills lead. So that, look out in August or early September because it looks like she's going to be breaking that real real early into the season, barring some uh, anything catastrophic. And then you have Amber Olsen, who is fourth all-time in career assists. So I really hope you got a chance to see this team live because uh, because this is was very much a historic team. And while not every, all of the pieces of it are going to be back next season, I think you will have enough of it 
coming back that that I think this team will still be making a lot of no, a lot of noise. So I'm 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 extremely excited. All right, couple things before we uh, end the end the show. You had some notes about tennis, some big news out of tennis. Yes. So this was this was very this was very new. It came out today, if I'm not mistaken. Let me just pull this. Up. So we're recording this Wednesday night. For those that do not know in the audience, tennis was had some in, uh, rankings came out. Of course, that season will get going in January. Of course, tennis coming off a Sweet 16 run on the women's side round of 32 on the men's side and uh hildebrand is going to be the leader on that men's team as they're going to be ranked uh pretty he's going to be an individual that's going to be ranked high as well as the his doubles partner and singles and high expectations for ucf oh very much so uh Trey, um we talked about gabe to a lot last time last spring and i think that that role is now going to come to trey hildebrand hildebrand went from not not being ranked at all by the ITA to number 16 in the country that it and I don't blame and I don't blame him he was a he made it to the sweet 16 in the ITA fall nationals and he was the runner-up in the ITA regionals I think they I think they're I think whoever I think that they he very much impressed this fall and definitely deserved that number 16 ranking so he'll definitely be someone to keep an eye out on individually and he's also part of two two ranked doubles teams of course um so he and his normal playing partner Bogdan Pavel, they kind they actually dropped this fall, dropping from the number three ranked pair in the world to number twenty two. And you know sometimes that sometimes happens in fall. Maybe they were just trying something and it didn't really work out. But they're still in the top twenty five. I think they'll definitely be a pair to watch. But uh, Leighton Cronhey has made his way into the picture now, and he and Hildebrand paired up with him is the number forty one ranked pair in the country so it'll be very interesting to watch this spring uh to see how they're going to go how they're going to go about this how often is Pavel going to play with with Hildebrand and how often Cronhey is going to play with him so I'm very interested to see how that goes and then uh the then three other nights individual players fell out of the top 125 and that is Cronhey as an individual Kento Yamada and Alan Ruby and Alan Rubio so that uh, so those guys fell out. Uh, Rubio didn't play this fall. Don't really know the reason for that, but hopefully he'll Lucy have to see more of him. And you know, sometimes fall, you know, just you just times for them to work out some stuff in their game. Maybe it didn't work. But I think Hildebrand though has showed some great promise this fall, and I'm very intrigued to see what he'll do in the schedule, at which they just dropped, by the way. And this is I'm telling you what, Eric, this is a real a really interesting schedule. So they're going to so basically they're going to be going to, to start off. They're going to be going to Miami on January 7th. So very so starts off real real early in the year. Then they have a, a, a about a week and a half break before they host Georgia. Then they go to Gainesville to play Florida, who has the number two ranked individual in the country, Ben Shelton, on January 22nd. And as, as for the rest, they have they play Ohio State, who is the host of the top two doubles pairs in the country, top two pairs on on February 25th. They also host Michigan. They visit Wake Forest. They host Illinois. They and they go on the road against Texas and Memphis, who all have players in pay, and doubles pairs in the top 125 of their respective categories. But I think the biggest the, the big takeaway from this, though, is that. Aside from Memphis, 
I don't really, I think that we'll be, I think that we'll probably have another night dominant year in the AC in the AAC for UCF men's tennis, especially from Trey Hildebrand, wouldn't you say? Absolutely. Should be another exciting year at tennis. Both had incre- incredible years uh, or in the spring of 21. We'll see what they do in the January of 22. And then we have women's tennis, by the way. The women's tennis rankings released as well. That was for the men's team. Uh, this is a little slower because the women's schedule has not been released yet. Uh, so, and so we have, first we have Zaleva, who dropped from number who dropped from number 20 to number 64 in the ranking. She had a bit of an injury late in the fall, so Hopefully she'll be able to heal up from that. And then you have, and then of course you have, and of course you have Eugenia Levashova who went from number 80 to number 37 in the rankings after making the final four in the ITA regional. So Levashova really made a, a, a big impression a impression this fall. And then Marie Mattel actually made her way into the top 125 going from not ranked to number 102. And then in the doubles, there was originally no doubles pairing uh, in, on the UCF women's, ten, uh, women's tennis team in the top 125, but that changed this fall. Levashova and Zaleva went, went from unranked to number 50, and then Marie Mattel and Nandini Sharma went from not ranked to number 55. This is the first doubles ranking for Sharma in her career. And so while I think Hildebrand, at, like when you take the men's and women's team together, while I think Hildebrand is probably the most talented individual tennis player out of all of them. I think the women's tennis team is a lot, has a lot more consistency to them because while it's basically Hildebrand, the way I see it, it it's, it's almost Hildebrand and everybody else in the men's tennis team, at least from the ranking sta- ranking standpoint, you have a pretty balanced uh, kind of upper pantheon of women's tennis players with Zaleva, Levashova, Mattel, and Sharma. Both teams will be good. That's the point. You become John McEnroe of the Black and Gold Bannerette here talking tennis. I like it. Uh, that's, we'll see how it goes. Plenty of storylines coming up in the spring sports for UCF. So we'll yeah, yes, I'm very, exci- I'm very excited. This fall has been absolutely fun getting to a right night, getting to right nightcap and be able to embed myself in all of UCF sports and get invested in all in all of them. And so I'm, I, I can't wait to do that again in the spring, Hope, but obviously with baseball, hopefully I'll be able to get a little bit of help from everybody else because I obviously can't be everywhere when covering baseball. But I'm very excited to see what, uh, you know, tennis and golf in their, I suppose, comfort zone since spring is their main seasons. So. Should be fun. Uh, speaking of baseball, look for on blackandgoldbanner.com. We'll have some details coming out of baseball perhaps as well this week. Uh, soon with the baseball schedule of course softball schedule is already out so before you know it spring will be here that'll be good of course signing day coming up national signing day we'll have that covered for you next week as well we'll have that our next episode and much more bryson this has been fun thank you sir by the way special thanks to noah goldberg who's been who's been finding all of this stuff for us with the baseball schedule unfortunately um we're recording this on wednesday night this is um, during the week of finals week so i am in the middle of finals week right now and so special thanks to noah for doing all this because I, i'm you know school's gotta come school's gotta come first uh, and so i have been a bit pretty bit pretty busy this week so thank you so much to noah for covering the baseball schedule side so that way i will be ready to go once the season kicks off all right, thank you. Don't look for that as well. All right, that's going to do it for this episode. Uh, one last thing, folks. Uh, if you haven't had a chance to, make sure you go and uh, check out uh, Otis Anderson's funeral is in Jacksonville this week, and uh, Josh Heupel actually uh, spoke in there. Had some great things to say. 
if you haven't had a chance to see it, you could find it on t- social media. A lot of people, Jason Beatty, uh, retweeted it. Uh, a lot of people retweeted. Trace Trunko retweeted. We, re- I retweeted it. Uh, I think everybody's seen it. I retweeted it. I believe You're, Bryson retweeted it. We'll find it, was, it. It was great. It Amazing. was absolutely great. I mean, Josh Heupel. Look, we can talk about Josh Heupel's like flaws as a coach on the field, however we want. But the fact that Josh Heupel came back to Orlando for to give this Jacksonville to, or came back to Florida yeah. for these remarks on on for on Otis Anderson I think really speaks to the type of person that he is and it, it's very different from his abilities as a coach to the person no question, that no question about it no question he didn't have to do that and he did and so I mean look so while obviously we'll take him to task on whatever he did uh, whatever he yeah done but look as, it's a per- I don't think anybody ever questioned him as a person I think yeah. Uh, yeah definitely no question that he that you know he's an absolutely great person and an absolutely great coach that has a very great bond with his players so definitely so shout out to to josh heupel for a very touching speech and thank you very much for returning returning to florida appreciate it and props to the la rams too they honored otis it was a it was fitting it was the rams and the jaguars playing ironically in los angeles they honored otis at the game as well it tells you that he has certainly made a lot of uh, a lot of friends and a lot of people made an impact and uh we're still thinking of Otis, and uh, it's still still surreal, but uh, awesome to see that. Make sure you all check that out as well. So thanks to uh, Drew Glukoff. Thanks to Kyle Nash. Thanks to Bryson Turner. Hope Jeff gets recovers from his back surgery. Get get better, get well soon. We have to argue. I have to argue. I, I need to argue with somebody. But, I'm, excited uh, to see, I'm excited to see him. I'll get the popcorn. Right? But uh, thank you, everybody, once again, for uh, tuning in to this uh, edition of the Black and Gold Banneret. We're sticking it, still thinking of you, Otis. <laughs>